If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. The way you and I live sends a message to people around us. If you were to ask others, what does your life say about you, what would they say? What would be the descriptors, if you will, of your life? If you were to say so-and-so, they are, and fill in the blank. Would, would words like kind, gracious, loving, compassionate, would those be the words that people would use? Or would other words be used? Complaining, frustrated, angry all the time, bothered easily. What would be the description of your life and my life if we were to be asked those questions? If we were to ask someone else to describe our own life? You see, all of us have a life that speaks. All of us have a life that's lived that really preaches a sermon and we don't even realize it. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your life is preaching today. It has been preaching and will continue to preach till the day that the Lord calls you home. This morning we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. The title of the sermon is, Your Life Speaks. Your Life Speaks. Listen to what Paul says here. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So what is it that your life and my life is supposed to communicate? According to the Apostle Paul, your life and my life should communicate the gospel. The gospel is what should be communicated. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ if a Christian's living the life that God wants for them to live, the rest of the world should realize that you are different. You have been redeemed. You are saved from the wrath to come. In fact, one of the strongest arguments for the gospel of Christ is the personal testimony of someone whose life has been changed by it. Charles Bradlaugh, an avowed infidel, once challenged the Reverend H.P. Hughes to a debate. The preacher, who was the head of a rescue mission in London, England, accepted the challenge with the condition that he could bring with him a hundred men and women who would tell of what has happened in their lives since trusting Christ as their Savior. They would be people who once lived in deep sin, some having come from poverty-stricken homes caused by the vices of their parents. Hughes said that they would not only tell of their conversion, but would submit to cross-examination by any who doubted their stories. Furthermore, the minister invited his opponent to bring a group of non-believers who could tell how they were helped by their lack of faith. When the appointed day arrived, the preacher came, accompanied by a hundred transformed persons. But Bradlaugh never showed up. The result? The meeting turned into a testimony time, and many sinners who had gathered to hear the scheduled debate were converted. You see, the gospel changes lives. We say we believe that, but do we? We see 
others that struggle through life knowing full well where they're headed and we look at them and go, the gospel could help. The gospel does more than help. It saves. The gospel is not optional. It's commanded. The gospel is good news to a dying world. Notice what Paul says here. Only. This is the one thing that Paul is really trying to stress to the Christians here in Philippi. Paul is saying that our conduct, our lifestyle, should be one that represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to break that down this morning. Number one, the checkup, verses 27 through 28. And number two, the connection, verses 29 through 30. Let's look at number one, the checkup, verses 27, 28. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear, hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. So how are we to do this? How are we to live this life that exemplifies the gospel? Well, first thing that we see here is that we ought to stand fast. Paul's telling the church of Philippi, when I come back and I want to see you, I want to see that this is what's a part of your life. The first things he bring, brings up, he says, to stand fast, to stand firm. In Ephesians 6.13, Paul encourages believers to put on the whole armor of God. Because you absolutely must do that in order to be able to stand. That's essentially what Paul's doing here. It's telling them you need to stand firm. Standing firm is an essential factor in displaying the gospel accurately. As soon as you and I swap what the gospel, gospel is, we are no longer standing firm. When we are unstable or unsteady as a church, it reflects on the gospel message we're preaching to others. Standing fast means that certain things will be a priority to us. Number one, the truth can't be compromised. Church, you can't change the gospel to accommodate people you want to reach. The truth is not there so that it can avoid conflict. We can't avoid conflict if the gospel message states that Jesus is exclusive. He's the only way. As soon as a person adds any other option, they've eliminated the gospel. So many try to preach a Jesus that is a try and see, see how it works out for you. That is not the gospel message. It's not the one that's revealed in scripture. What he's saying here in Standing Fast is that we are to strive together. In striving for the gospel, it takes a group effort. It is not something you and I do individually, one-on-one. -on -one. We do this with others in mind. In fact, he says, one spirit, one mind. What he's saying is, there's one drive, one purpose. You're working on this together. Church, the reason why the gospel doesn't stand, if you will, firm in many of our lives is because we're trying to stand on our own. We are to stand firm together as a body of Christ. We are to stand firm with one drive, one purpose, to strive together, work together. 
with one drive and purpose to spread the gospel message to the unsaved, to the lost. You and I should care so much about reaching others that we understand the heart of the gospel. And that means conflicts in our church we take care of. When there are conflicts in the church, it distracts from the gospel message. It takes away from what God could use. For the sake of Christ and what he has done, work out the offenses you have with others. We all ought to do that. Particularly if it's with those in the body of Christ. When we are at odds with one another, we're focused on ourselves. And we aren't looking at the bigger picture. You ever been focused at your job at only what matters to you? And not realizing that there's a bigger picture? There's a team here that we're talking about? Not just me and my role? Well, essentially, that's what Paul's trying to get at here. He's saying, listen, you know what? It's not just about what you think individually. Think of the whole and how it affects the whole. Which is why unity has to be a community effort. When you and I are out of line, some brother or sister comes along and says, hey, you know what, here's what's going on. You're kind of walking off on your own. Let me encourage you to come back. Now, not all of us respond properly to that at times, right? Not all of us are like, sure, thanks for telling me. That's not how we respond many times. We're typically like, who are you to say, right? Like, and that's unfortunately the problem with the church, is the church is many times in conflict with one another and can't present the gospel message clearly to someone else. We're essentially a body beating itself up, hoping to do what it's been called to. If you beat your own body up and expect to then do what it is that you could as a healthy individual, that's not going to be possible. Every part of your life is to be a reflection of the gospel. Your family relationships, husband, wife, mother, father, sister, brother, all of those things are to be done in light of the gospel. Your finances. You care more to see others come to Christ than you always care about just getting the latest and greatest for yourself. You see, when we've been given something by God, we have to see beyond what it is that we've been given and what it can be used for. God didn't give you the gospel so you could keep it to yourself. He didn't give you money so you could keep it to yourself. He gave it to you so you can use it for others and for his glory. None of the things that we enjoy in this life are meant only for us. They are meant to be a reflection of him. What if we took the time to see money differently than the way we have? I want to challenge us to think through this through the lens of the text that so many of us are familiar with in the Bible. All of us have heard texts on this, uh, sermons on this, had it preached. But I want us to see something that, for some reason, I haven't really noticed as much before. In Matthew 6, 19 through 21, notice what it says. This is Jesus speaking. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven when neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now here's what's interesting. Notice what Jesus says and doesn't say. Jesus says at the end, where your heart is, there your treasure is? No, he doesn't. That's what you would think he says here. He's saying, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
I want you to pause and think about that. There are steps to take before you feel something in your heart sometimes. You see, most of us go, if I feel it in my heart, then I should do it. And God's saying, no, you're going to do it, and then you're going to have the feelings come in. And they're going to show you that this is really what matters. And, and I want to challenge all of us, because I have to challenge myself in this area. Many of the things that we do for God will require us to go against our feelings sometimes. I don't feel like doing that. doesn't matter what you feel. You ought to do. Because God commands it. And many times your feelings will catch up later on. God, I'm going to commit to this for your kingdom, but I'm not feeling it right now. So should you wait till you finally feel it? If God's called you to preach the gospel when you don't feel it, are you waiting only for a feeling to do so? You see, church, that's the problem is we get a lot of these things backwards in the Bible that we think we've known for years. I see it this way in my life. There are things that God's called me to that in my heart, I'm not as much into at the moment. And then I start, and I do what God's called me to. Before you know it, no one can take away that ministry that God's called me to because I actually enjoy and appreciate it with all my heart now. One of the areas, and I'll be perfectly transparent this morning, one of the areas was being principal at Grace Academy. My heart wasn't as into it in the beginning. Just wasn't. I'm going to be perfectly honest. It's what God called me to during that time. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of, I don't know if I should be doing this because I'm not feeling it right now. And I jumped into what God's called me to. And before you know it, now I'm like, I love this. God, I love this. I love this school. I love what I'm doing. I love the people here. I love the students here. I can't wait to see what you're going to do. And it's not because everything's always going to be cookie cutter and perfect. I have my bad days. I have my frustrations. But if I'm going to be perfectly honest, I wouldn't want to do anything else. Because I, I had a question asked. Stephen asked. He had this interview in one of his classes this last week. And you know how he is, and most of us are. I was. Uh, he stays up the night before to turn it in. Hey, Dad, I come home late because I had some things I was working on. Hey, uh, Dad, um, I need to interview you. Okay? <laughs> and so he asked me all these different questions. And one of them was, you know, what? Uh, do you have a famous quote or a phrase or anything like that? And, and, and I, I just thought off the cuff, and I really do believe this, I think... None of us can underestimate the impact we can have on others. Another, none of us should underestimate the in, in, impact we can have on others. Because I know there are so many people in my life that have made such an impact, they don't even know they have. I don't know if that's you. There are people that have made an impact in your life that you probably didn't even say anything to them, but they have. And I, I just want to encourage you, kind of as a side note, go thank them. Go tell them thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the impact you made years ago. Some of you have given up on certain things because you no longer have the feeling. I don't feel, and then fill in the blank, right? I don't feel like we'll have what we once had. Maybe others will, but I think it's too, too late for us. Church, God still calls you to do what he says, even when you're not feeling like it. I don't feel like I can ever be good enough. 
So is the better option quitting, not trying? I don't feel that I can ever forgive them. Pause for a moment and think about what you're saying. Think of what the Lord Jesus Christ forgave. Not just what he forgave in your life, but the lives of others around you. Jesus' words on the cross should always resonate with you. And of course, there's justice that's going to be coming later on for those that reject the gospel. But there's still forgiveness as well. Back to the view regarding money. You might be like, I don't have all that much. I don't really know what I can really give. Give what you can consistently, systematically. Systematically say, hey, I can't give this much, but I can give this amount. Do it consistently, systematically, faithfully. It's much easier to operate as a church when we know at least what the numbers really are and they're not jumping up and down. It's just easier that way. You have bills that you set aside that you have to pay every single month. And you know what the bill is practically every single month. Maybe with the exception of the electric bill that goes crazy certain months. There are so many things to constantly keep in mind when it comes to money for the gospel purpose. And I, and I want us to pause and think through this a little bit, okay? So we have ministries that God's given us the opportunity to be a part of. And I want you to consider that in your own life, God gives you money so that you can build relationships that can then be used to further the kingdom of God. Not just so you can get the latest and greatest. People ask me all the time, why do I have a Toyota? Well, I have a Toyota simply because I want something that lasts and I don't have to worry about for a long time. I just get it done, I don't have to worry about it again later. So I can get my mind on other things. Car repairs is not one of the things I want to enjoy in my life. In fact, it distracts a lot more than you want it to. Simple, but practical. That's the way I see it. But there are other areas that God gives you the finances, He gives you the tools, and you're, you're, you're not seeing the bigger picture. I'm not seeing the bigger picture. You have family and friends that you can invite and bring to church. Bring out to an outing with your kids that can be a tool that you one day use to reach them with the gospel. Buying things to feed others with the purpose of having them hear Christ. Listen, I want you to realize something, church. The men's and ladies' buy, uh, breakfast should be more than just a get-together. There should be a focus towards the gospel. To encourage one another, to have fellowship. Yes, all of those things. Amen. But to also build relationships so that we can reach people outside this church. So when we're cooking an amazing meal, we're not doing it just because we can brag that we got good food, but because we got something we can deliver, that means the gospel. And we're going to put our money towards that because it matters. We have the good food because people need the gospel. Buying things to feed others with the purpose of having them hear Christ, that matters. Listen, Jesus exemplified this all the time. Jesus would preach, and what else would he do? Feed the multitude. Food, I mean, Baptists should be good at this anyways. Food, fellowship, Bible. Like, those go together. 
That's truly a tradition that Jesus himself established. You should want to invite that neighbor, friend, relative, coworker, so that one day you have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. They don't need it all at once. Some of you, God took a long time on it. You know that. It wasn't like the first time you heard something about Jesus, it was a wonderful thing. For some of you, it was a curse word. Whatever you do as an individual family, there should always be a gospel-centered focus and purpose. It doesn't matter if it's Little League, baseball, soccer, hockey. The goal should be to somehow build relationships so that you can share the gospel with someone else that doesn't know him. I want to encourage us, church, to look beyond just the stuff for us and see that there are many that need Jesus all around us that God connects us to that we're not taking the opportunities with. We need to stop being so inward-focused as believers and become outward-focused in sharing the gospel. You and I need to be discipled so that we have something to give someone else. If you're not partaking of God's word yourself, you're going to be an empty vessel that can't give anything. That is why church attendance is crucial. It's not the only thing. A personal walk with God a time with brothers and sisters to get in the word together is important. We come to church or don't come to church based on what we can get out of it for ourselves sometimes. Right? Like, many times we don't go to church because it's just, like, inconvenient that day. Right? Like, eh, I don't feel like going to that. That's the truth. Fortunately, I don't have that option sometimes. But the truth is, we have that happen, Right? We don't do certain things because eh, I don't feel like doing it. And sometimes we think the feeling or not feeling like doing something is the right answer. We think of what we can get out of it for ourselves, not how we can serve, how much we can love God, how much we can bring the gospel to others and join the fellowship with others. What's stunning is how many believers talk about heaven being a place they can't wait to worship, but they don't care to join in corporate worship here on this earth. I can't wait to get to glory where we worship with the saints. Then why aren't you going to church on Sunday? You see the double speak there? We've forgotten our gathering together is not for us, but for him. Listen, believer, you're not coming here for us. You're coming here for him. And you need to remember that. Yes, it's in fellowship together with the saints, but ultimately it's for him. And you and I, we need to get over ourselves in these areas. Well, you don't know what so-and-so... You're not there for them. Whenever we make ourselves the standard for anything, we'll be very disappointed. And here's one thing I do want to encourage you to be a little more honest and sensitive in your heart before God on. Don't change your spiritual habits based on someone not being consistent in theirs. Like, just because a brother or sister's not doing what they should doesn't give you a pass now to just not do what you should. Well, so-and-so didn't care about this. I don't care about this. 
That's not the way it should be, brothers and sisters. Get over yourself, get right with God, get right with others, and then bring others to be right with God as well. Our church is to be unified on this front so much so that we will do whatever it takes to bring others to Christ. As one pastor said, and I don't know if I'd go as far as this, but he says we will do whatever we it takes as a church short of sin to bring someone to Jesus. In order to be unified in the gospel, we all need to realize the importance of the gospel daily in our lives. Listen, believer, this life is not about us and our wishes and dreams. It's about our Lord Jesus Christ, who owns us. We are his. When it comes to the gospel, we ought to support one another in whatever ministry the other is involved in, as it pertains to the gospel. If you're someone that doesn't help out in the school, realize that the funds that go to the school and to this church support something that helps students not only get a good education, but introduces them to the gospel of Jesus Christ if they do not know him. I promise you one thing, they hear the gospel at the school. And if you're like, well, that's not my ministry, realize that if you're body, part of this body of Jesus Christ, you're supporting something that praises and glorifies God. And you're looking down on that and being negative towards that is essentially saying, God, I like what you've called others to. I don't care to support them. Just because it's not your ministry doesn't mean it's not important to God. Maybe you're saying, look, I'm not involved in the youth ministry. That's not really my cup of tea. Look at me. I'm, <laughs> I'm a lot older now. That doesn't mean that you can't pray for that ministry. Or, hey, uh, Jake, Max, listen, um, I can make food. I promise you one thing. Sure beats pizza every time. Does. It's just the truth. These are the little things that we can do to support one another. And we're not seeing the bigger picture. And so my goal today is to kind of stir us up as a church and go, hey, what am I not seeing for myself that God's called me to? What am I not doing that God could use me for that I'm going, ah, I'll let somebody else take care of that. Give where you can. Provide for the food. Pray. Maybe you're like, I really appreciate the fellowship with the saints here at Sovereign Grace Church, but I'm not sure how I can really help. There are many things you can do. Just ask. I promise you, we will have something for you to do. The assumption that I'm no longer needed here or wanted here is not true. Your prayers are important to this church. There are people in this church that don't have the time or energy to be able to come in and help, but they have no problem going, okay, what do you need for the next project? Here. Go get it done. Find some guys, get it done. Let's get it done. And that's their approach. They don't physically walk into this building to do it, but they give to do that. Praying, giving, being involved are all ways that you can strive to be more gospel-focused as a member of this church. I believe that God has blessed our small school simply because we've been faithful in doing what he's called us to. 
And, and, and I'm going I'm to go a step further and say this. I think so many of us underestimate the value that the school brings to Christ. I think so many of us are so caught up in our own little world that we don't realize that some of these kids could very well be the next Spurgeon. We're not even seeing it. We're not even seeing the kind of impact we're actually leaving on these children because we don't see 10 years down the road. We don't see 20 years down the road. We're in the here and now and it stinks today. It's frustrating. Someone ruined it for us. We got to see the bigger picture. You ever heard testimonies of people that were like, that person's not going to amount to much? Look at them. Years later, guy's pastoring a church. What is he doing? What is God doing in that person's life? It's amazing. And we miss it. My parents thought I was going to walk away from the faith when I was growing up. Here I am pastoring a church. We may think that it's not all that much, but we don't see down the road. Who knows what God can do and is doing. And some of you don't realize this, but you've already made an impact in someone's life a few years ago, and you're not seeing the fruit of that because you don't see the process of sowing and reaping consistently in your life. You don't realize that there's a season that goes by before you finally see the harvest. You've already planted the seed. You're wondering, why hasn't it grown to the big tree that I want? It takes time. It takes a lot of time for some people. I don't believe God's word is ever wasted. God knows what he's doing. As C.T. Studd said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Paul's not telling us to simply be ignorant like it's all going to be fine in this life. That's not what he's doing here in this text. You do the things God's called you to for him, not for yourself. And what he says here in verse 28 is important, to not be afraid of opposition. You are going to have opposition, believer, when you're trying to serve God, when you're trying to reach people with the gospel. In fact, that is the majority of the cases you will encounter. Not every person you meet will go, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Tell me more. In fact, quite the opposite. It's the standard default answer. I don't want nothing to do with that, man. Like, that's good for you. Thanks, but no. Or, don't tell me about that. I don't even want to hear it. I already know. Or, the worst one is, I grew up in church. Those that oppose the gospel are proving that they themselves will be destroyed. If you're living by this faith of the gospel, it's a token of your salvation. This is an evidence of salvation if the gospel matters to you and me. If it matters to you and me to share with others. Spurgeon went pretty strong on this point. He said, if you don't want to share the gospel, you may not be saved yourself. There's always going to be opposition to gospel ministry. What is always hurtful is when it comes from those we consider close to us, don't we? Isn't it? Church, the world needs Christ. America needs Christ. Massachusetts needs Christ. Springfield needs Christ. Whatever city you're from needs Christ. 
What are you and I going to do about it? We're just going to sit comfortably because we have eternal security? Or is God wanting to stir our comfort zone? Tell us, hey, you know what? There's more I've called you to than this. Stop chasing the American dream. It's a nightmare. Obeying Christ in the Great Commission is not optional, believer. It's commanded. We must strive to be living out the gospel through our faith in our lives. Let's not be afraid to face those that oppose the gospel. Listen, you are going to have opposition in your life. If you want to share Jesus with others, there will be opposition. Bank on it. And you know why you need the Bible? It's not just to encourage you, but to also show you that the very struggles you're going through, as we've been going through in Hebrews 11, others have gone through. In fact, some of their struggles are even more intense than yours and mine. How would some of you like to have God call you from wherever you live right now off to some strange land that you have no idea where it's going to end up? Would you take that one for faith? Yeah, God, I'm just going to go wherever you're calling me to. I have no idea yet, but I will take it in faith. Some of you are like, well, that doesn't, you know, my logic doesn't add up there. It doesn't. Don't be intimidated by those that oppose the gospel. They'll always be around. Be sure you support the gospel yourself. So listen, here's a point I do want to pause for a minute and make it a little more serious and practical. If you have a brother or sister that's trying to share the gospel with others and you don't want to support them in that, step out of the way. What's even more painful than anything else is when someone's sharing the gospel and others don't care. A brother or sister that wants to share the gospel, want to share Jesus with others, should be encouraged by other believers. Should be prayed for by other believers. Should be united with other believers for that cause. I, I don't go out of my way to go blasting other churches that are reaching people with the gospel. Praise God for them. Praise God for them. All I know is God's called us to do so as well. And when we're just sitting there on the sidelines going, you know, God, you take care of it. Figure it out. I'm, you got other people that you can use. Don't use me. We're saying, God, essentially, I want to be disobedient. I don't want to do what you've told me to do. There needs to be a connection, though. And number two, the connection, verses 29 through 30. This is important. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. You've been given faith to believe. And with that also comes the tool that God uses in your life as a blessing. Suffering. Not sure we see it that way. God is not punishing you by making you go through suffering, believer. He's doing so to conform you to Christ. Don't see suffering as a punishment. See it as the blessing that Paul describes here as a tool for Christ's gospel. It takes suffering to conform. You and I won't conform any other way. 
The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel messes with everything that happened to the early church followers of Christ. They get that one wrong so bad. It was never meant to be easy. And so many of you have a testimony that you know what it's like to lose a loved one. That loss should only further propel you to share the gospel and what God's done in your life. You see, some of you, you have a testimony. God's done some things in your life, and that's a tool that God can use to reach others with the gospel. Unfortunately, here's what happens with believers. Some shrivel under pressure. Others get stronger, use it to build continual endurance, get better in sharing their faith with others, strive to live for God, strive to reach more people, because the trials in this life are meant to conform us to Christ. In case you think this is a one-off by Paul, I mean, Paul, come on, like, why you got to talk about suffering being something that God's given us? Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will have the time of their lives. Right? Now what does it say? Will suffer persecution. Is it, wait a second, is this what I signed up for? Yes! If Jesus is your Lord, this is what is promised. Many don't suffer persecution, though, because they're not suffering for godly living. They're suffering in other ways due to their own sinful choices and practices. There are two different ways to suffer. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. Suffering for his sake is different from suffering for your sake. You need to stop and think about that, believer. Suffering because you've made stupid choices that are sinful is very different than suffering for his sake. And unfortunately, people have this warped view that my horrible sinful choices are now, oh, it's because I'm living for God. So many Christians have this whacked theology in this. They misapply the Bible in this area. Living for him is living uprightly and godly. Living for us is living selfishly and carnally. You can suffer for either one. The encouragement we find in scripture is that God will take suffering and use it for his glory and our good. Suffering which produces godliness is the suffering God is using to demonstrate the gospel. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 4 verses 12 through 16. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So believer, you have an option to suffer for his sake or for your own and your own choices. 
You can suffer for sinful behaviors or you can suffer for godly living. Choose. Just don't swap them in your mind when you know which one it really is in your life. Peter is telling us that there is no shame for those that live upright before God and suffer. You may be that believer that does everything that you can to live an upright life before God, and you're absolutely going through misery and suffering in your life. What does he say here? Rejoice to the extent that you've been made a partaker of Christ's sufferings. Sounds like the strangest thing to say. Rejoice over this? Rejoice because you have a connection with Christ and you're getting conformed to him. We should not be someone that undergoes suffering simply because of consequences of sinful choices we've made and claim that it's doing it for his glory. Sometimes the bills aren't paid because you spent too much on the credit card and bought stuff you, shouldn't, you couldn't afford with the money you don't have. You can't blame that on your faith and how you got persecuted for it. And you're suffering for his sake because of that. Sometimes the hurt in that relationship isn't because you've strived to please God, it's because you've been stubborn and bitter yourself. You've assumed that God takes your side automatically when it's you and I that are at fault before him and others. It's very easy to assume that you're suffering because of other people when you don't want to look at your own faults. So many Christians are terrible employees, terrible spouses, terrible parents, terrible stewards of their time and money, are addicted to different sins, are suffering because of all of this, and they still think they're suffering because of doing what's right. Their problem is misinterpretation and misapplication of God's word. This name it and claim it theology that's infiltrated our churches is distorting the truth. If I just believe this about myself, then I am. Uh, no, you're still carnal, still fleshly, still sinful, still doing what God doesn't want. You can't claim that you aren't if you are doing those things. We all like to think that we're the heroes in the story, don't we? By the way, Jesus is the hero. We're to be like him. You and I aren't the heroes. The gospel can never shine brightly in a Christian whose light has been put out by sin that's been unrepented of. You want to know why you can't reach people with the gospel? Because you've got a lot of stuff you don't want to deal with in your own life. You and I have a lot of stuff we don't want to deal with in our own life, and that is one of the reasons why the gospel doesn't go forth from our lips. Because our, our testimonies don't line up many times. Paul is, telling, Paul is telling them something that is so important for those of us that don't know how to handle suffering conflict for doing what's right. Sometimes it is the case. We've done what we should before God and others. The people we're dealing with do not accept our apology or our attempt to make amends. That does happen. We're not talking about those cases. They do happen. There are people in your life that you've tried to make things right with and they refuse to do so. That is no longer on you and me. But what we can be encouraged here is 
the example that Paul gives. Paul's saying, listen, having the same conflict which you saw in me. Paul's saying, listen, learn from what's gone on in my life. Look at what I've gone through. Learn from that. This is a man that cared so much that others knew Christ, he was willing to put up with anything to reach people for Christ. In fact, most people today would say he did too much. Paul, you're a little too crazy about this Jesus thing. You're a little too fired up about the gospel. You need to kind of, you know, settle down a little bit, take a break. Listen, we need different heroes in our church, not the ones that so many of us put on a pedestal, though. Our heroes should be those men and women who have lived for the gospel, doing whatever it takes to reach others for Christ. The Jim Elliots, the Apostle Pauls, those are the heroes we need. The church needs to continually admonish one another. And that means that we know that each of us should strive for the gospel. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't done this in the past, start today. When you're talking to a brother or sister, have conversations about who they know that needs the gospel around them and pray for them about that. Become more intentional in praying for the relationships that we've built with people around us. Not in a happenstance way, but an intentional way. Try to engage in these areas intentionally. There are so many people that walk through these doors, even for the school, that I don't know if they know Jesus. I don't know. But we ought to pray for them. We ought to try to reach them. We ought to encourage their parents to disciple their children. If you want the gospel to become a priority, you ought to be in the church. Make it a priority in your own life. So in conclusion, I have a simple question. What is your life speaking? What is your life speaking? Our lives say something to those around us. What is our life speaking before God and others? Listen, believer, it ultimately matters what God thinks, not what you and I do. It does matter to a certain extent, particularly if somebody's lining up with the word of God, but ultimately it's what God thinks. We need to be united as a body of Christ to share the gospel with anyone we can and be intentional. To rewire the way that we think about the casual days that we have. Listen, I want to challenge us as a church to never waste a day the gospel that means even in the moments that we just enjoy with our families our friends people that we love and cherish that we can bask in the glory of the gospel parents when we talk before our children do we tell them do we exemplify this by telling them how much the lord has loved us when you're able to get that expensive item for your children do you remember to tell them that god is a good god who loves you do you remember to tell them that God is a good father who loves them too? What message is being sent when it comes to your life? And, and, and I want to encourage you if you're like, hey, you know what? I don't really like what life, my life communicates right now. Maybe, maybe today's the day you repent of that. Maybe today's the day you go back to someone and say, you know what? I've been a really terrible example 
of what I should be as a believer, forgive me for that. And you strive to do what God's called you to. Not to impress somebody else, but to please him. Is the message of connection with the body there, or are you disconnected on your own island? Listen, you could be a part of the church, but still feel disconnected. Because to you, it's not intentional to build relationships. And it should be. If you're someone, hey, you know what? I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like this. Can I just encourage you? Come up to a brother or sister and let them know that. And I promise you, we're going to be there for you. We're going to pray for you. We're going we're to bring you closer into the family. We're not going to do this perfectly. No church does. There's a lot of people that fall through the cracks in every church. But I promise you, on the testimony of Scripture, we love you. And this family is here for you. If you're watching this online and you've not been here with us for quite some time, we love you and we want you back. The suffering this life should come at the expense of the gospel. It shouldn't. It should come with that being the example at the end. It's worth it with the cost of what we do. If you and I are suffering due to our own negligence of Scripture, we need to get back to God in prayer and confess it before him. Don't ever forget, Christian, that if you're married, one of the greatest pictures of the gospel is the marriage relationship. You tell the world a lot by your marriage. You really do. doesn't matter what others think. Do what God would want. Your life is preaching a sermon every day, and others are listening. They are watching. Offenses will come, but let them be there for us doing what is right rather than what, doing what is wrong. Offenses for doing what is right is so much better. In closing, Stephen Lawson makes the statement, if you please God, it does not matter whom you displease. And if you displease him, it does not matter whom you please.